following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. Thank you. Thank you. You guys can go ahead and be seated. You know, I just want to say, first of all, thank you, Pastor Richie and Pam, for giving me the opportunity to speak up here. If you have someone in your life that speaks into your life, that encourages you, that prays for you, that pushes you, that challenges you, you got to take that time to value them and to speak life into them and to honor them and let them know that you appreciate them. So I just want to say thank you, Pastor Richie and Pam, for speaking into my life and for pushing me, making me a better person. I'm who I am because of what you support into my life, and I want to say thank you for that. So, yes, we have a great lead pastors here. Um, if this is your first time with us, I invite you to come back and hear Pastor Richie preach. I'm not a normal preacher on Sundays, so please come back. If this is your first time, you'll want to be sure and hear Pastor Richie. Um, we're going to start off today with, uh, well, as you know, we've been in a series called Questions. We're answering questions that we've been hearing you guys ask. And so today we're actually going to be talking about the question, how can I forgive? So it's going to be a great, great day. But let me ask this. How many of you were born in the 70s? I was born in 1972. Yeah. So, you know, about maybe a third of us was born in the 70s. Well, let me say, life has changed since the 70s, right? It's changed so, so much. So let me just say what, what we used to do back in the 70s. Um, all the windows were open at night, right? You didn't have central heat or central air. Your windows were open at night. We didn't wear seatbelts. In fact, if you had a big car, you actually kind of rode, if you were little, in the back window area, right? And your parents smoked with all the windows rolled up. <laughs> We drank water out of the water hose, and the only water we had was tap water, (laughs) and we survived, right? If you wanted to listen to a song over and over and over again, you had to wait for it to come on the radio, and you had your cassette player ready. You would have your cassette tape in there, and you would press record to record the song. Hopefully, you got it, because sometimes you missed the first chorus, you know, and you got your song, and you could listen to it again. You thought it was normal to tan with Crisco on a hot trampoline. (laughs) That is not normal, right? (laughs) You were excited about being able to take the pickup truck out because that meant if you were a kid, you got to ride in the back. Sometimes with the gate down and sometimes riding on the edges of the truck, right? (laughs) How many of you played on a rusted, rusted out swing set that when you were, you were swinging, it would propel you up into the air, one of the legs would come up out of the ground, and then hit back down with a deep thud? Right? Helmets. We did not have helmets back then. <laughs> no one wore helmets. It was crazy. The 70s. It was great, right? Well, I had your typical home, or at least I thought it was typical, I thought what I thought was, you know, a pretty normal childhood. I had the same funny stories as you, the same memories growing up. No one knew what happened in my house unless you lived there. So we're going to talk today about how can I forgive when it seems impossible? We can all think back to a time when something happened to us, whether someone did something to us or maybe it was an event that was unfair 
or it was completely life-altering. In other words, someone or something did something to you and it scarred you. Maybe it was when you were a child. Maybe it was when you were a teenager. Maybe even in your adult life. It could have happened by your parents, someone you knew, maybe somebody you didn't even know. But whatever happened, it was a life a traumatic event. We all have things in our life that were unfair. We can choose to hang on to that and to be angry and bitter and just go around life with this negative attitude, or we can choose to let it go, have forgiveness come into our lives, and to live a completely different life. You may think, uh, you know, Stephanie, you just don't know how I was raised. I was raised in a harsh home, or you don't know what my ex did to me. They caused me a lot of pain. I just can't seem to let it go. But we're going to talk today about how you can forgive and how God wants us to forgive even the worst transactions that are committed against us. So people thought our family was a normal family. We really did look like a normal family. My dad worked hard. He was a very hard worker. People respected him at work. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, your typical stay-at-home mom, you know, cooking and cleaning and took care of the kids. We were good students in school. But my dad was a Mr. Jekyll, Dr. or Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and most of the time, he was a complete monster at home. He was so controlling, so demanding, you never knew when it was going to hit you. Any kind of abuse, I don't care if it's emotional, if it's physical, verbal, sexual, any kind of abuse is horrible and inexcusable. My dad was a controller. He controlled you with fear. Fear entered my life very early. But on top of that, he also had a sexual fetish. He was very mean and spiteful, and he was very sexual. He liked to watch porn, and he even videoed his own porn. Just kind of giving you a very deep, uh, basic glimpse into my life. Looking back, I think he tried to control us because he had no control over himself. I did not have a safe home. I was terrified. In fact, if you can imagine my nights, I would hear the fighting to start, the abuse to start. I would actually crawl out of my window and sleep in the backyard so my dad wouldn't find me. My childhood was not normal. It's not normal to be five years old and go to another woman's house for his sexual encounters. It's not normal to be eight years old and to see your dad physically beat your mother till she was bleeding so bad and she was black and blue. He punched her and kicked her. He strangled her. He ripped her clothes off of her and then he threw her out of the house. And to hear her scream and cry and beg to come back into the house. I don't know why she wanted to come back, but she cried and begged, and he wouldn't let her. She finally left, left me there alone with him. She had to find shelter. She had to leave. She had to go somewhere for the night, and it was the middle of winter. All I remember was I was so scared. I had no control over what was about to happen to me. I went to my room I threw up. I was so physically upset. I was crying. He came into my room and he told me to clean up. He was going to invite a friend over. I tried to clean up. I actually tried to run away. I tried to crawl out of my window, but he, called, he, he caught me and he drug me back in the house. I wanted to run away. If you can imagine being eight years old, knowing that anything would be better than staying there. 
and I wanted to run away, try to find my mom. I had no clue where she was at. I just wanted to get out of there. But my dad caught me and drug me back in. He did invite a friend over. They started to drink. He told me, he made me sit on his friend's lap. I could smell the whiskey on his breath. He made me be his princess. I was so scared. The next day, I had to go to school like nothing ever happened. If you can imagine, I just saw my dad beat the living life out of my mom. I had no idea what to do. I didn't think I could tell anybody anything. So I went to school the next day like nothing ever happened. My mom did finally come back about a week later. I, I asked her to this day, why did you ever come back? Why would you come back when you're free? And she said she came back for the kids. It's not normal to be 14 years old and to hear your mom screaming and crying in the kitchen. And I ran in there to see what was going on, and she had a knife to her neck. She was going to kill herself, and she was so tired of the pain. If you can imagine years and years of abuse, she just wanted it to end. She was so tired of it. But me as a 14-year-old, having to grow up real fast and to be that person for my mom, to be strong for her, and to tell her it was okay and that we would get through it, and to please, Mom, please don't kill yourself. If you kill yourself, I won't have anybody. Please don't do that, Mom. I'm going to tell you like it was. I hated, I hated my dad. I wanted to hurt him. Listen, I was a Christian. I was just like many of you. I had Jesus in my heart. I loved Jesus with all my heart, but I was still going some, some very deep things. Many years later, after I got married, my dad got really sick. He got COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, and it just basically suffocates you. It's a very horrible disease. Honestly, I thought God was finally punishing him, that he was getting what he deserved. For many, many, many years, I was happy that he was getting punished. As his life was dwindling away, I had no desire to rekindle any kind of relationship with him at all, no desire to see him, but he was calling me because he needed somebody to help take care of him. He needed somebody to take him to drive him to his doctor's appointments, to help him with some food and stuff. At first I thought, there is no freaking way, there's no way I am going to help you. After all these years, you're calling me to come and to help you. I didn't even feel bad for not even wanting to help him. But about this same time, Ronnie and I were beginning to experience Jesus at a much deeper level. We were beginning to read more about him, and we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. We were having real, intimate um, time with God. God was changing our hearts from the inside out. We were so hungry for God, and we were all in. Have you ever been there where you're just with God, and you're like, yes, Lord, anything for you. I'll do anything for you. God said, you need to forgive your dad. I thought, what? God was dealing with my heart, and he was asking me to forgive my dad. I felt so torn. I mean, after all, I was the one living for God now. Why was God asking me to do this? Why was God asking me to do something that seems so impossible to do? Didn't God remember all the things that he did to me? Didn't God remember all the hurt that I went through? Why did I have to be the one to bend? 
Well, Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus says right here, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But then Jesus also goes on to say this, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I did not want to forgive my dad. After all he did, how could God ask me to forgive him? I remember thinking, I'll never, ever, ever forgive him for what he did. And I want to say right now to you, with every bit of sincerity and faith in my heart, I believe that there are some of you here today that are hearing what I'm saying. And I believe today you're going to have an encounter with God that will completely transform your heart and you're going to go in a different direction today. And you're going to have significant healing today. So let's talk about what the Bible says when it says to forgive what seems so impossible. So let's look at the scripture. This is at a time when Jesus probably spoke one of the most powerful prayers on forgiveness. You know, the story of him being crucified. In Luke, Luke recounts this story, verse, uh, chapter 23, verses 32 through 34. Luke says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the school, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now, when we read about the crucifixion, maybe you've seen stories about the crucifixion, you've read about it, you've seen some of the things, but literally, it's impossible to know just how horrific and brutal crucifixion actually was. In order to be executed like this, to be crucified, you had to be hated, because this was one of the most um, expensive ways of, uh, to execute people. It was saved for the worst of the worst of the criminals. But Jesus wasn't a criminal. He was completely and totally innocent. But as you know, they beat Jesus until he was completely unrecognizable. They had a, a whip that they lashed him over and over and over again. The whips had shards of glass and rocks on the end of it that would just literally rip open his body until you could see his internal organs. Then after that, they put a crown of thorns on his head with the blood pouring down into his face, his black and blue face. Then after that, they stripped him naked. They began to nail him to the cross his hands and his feet. You can remember that if you can think of that movie. It was so horrific, so horrible. But that was just the beginning. When they hung him on the cross, you know, you, in the movies, they actually have him to where their, their feet are this high off the ground. That's actually how, not how it was. Their feet was actually about this high off the ground so that when they hung you up in the public, people could come by and look at you in the eye and they could ridicule you and mock you and say things to you and spit on you. They would do this as he was naked, stand, hang, hanging on the cross before them. He was sitting there, and they were saying things like, So you think you're the king of the Jews? You've saved other people, now save yourself. We hate you. And they would spit on him. They did this to him. The only way that you could stay alive when you were being crucified, because you were literally suffocating, was as you're, as you're there, you would pull yourself up with spikes through your hands. You'd pull yourself up and on your feet, pull yourself up long enough to catch a breath, and then you would collapse again, only to suffocate even more. You would pull yourself up again and collapse. This would go on for days until they passed away. 
people would come by as this was going on, and they would mock him, mock him, mock him. Literally, the creation mocking the creator. But Jesus displays one of the most beautiful attitudes about forgiveness and a prayer that blows my mind as he prays this in verse 34. Jesus says, in the middle of all this, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus asks for their forgiveness for something that seems completely unforgivable. Now, I just want to acknowledge today that there are some of you that have been through some real hurt. God is speaking to you right now. He's opening up your heart. You've been through some things that have been inexcusable and horrible. Maybe you've been abused, maybe as a child, maybe as an adult and in your marriage. Maybe it's been a business deal that's gone wrong and your, your reputation was on the line. It was destroyed and you lost a lot of money. Maybe it was a friend that lied about you, that said some things to you, that said some things about you, and you just really don't feel like you can trust anybody again. Perhaps there's some of you that maybe had a difficult mom or a dad that was not there for you the way they needed to be. Maybe even they've even passed away and you just don't know how to let it go. Some of you may even be mad at God right now, maybe saying, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why didn't you do what I know you could have done? Why did you let this happen to me? Maybe some of you are mad at yourself right now. Maybe you've done something that was not right, and you just feel like you just can't seem to forgive yourself. It's kind of like this when you vacuum. You know, when you're vacuuming, you make lines. Who makes lines? Who likes to see the lines when they're vacuuming? <laughs> I don't care. If it's vacuumed, if, I, I don't mind. The, I don't care for the lines. It doesn't bother me at all. But, you know, you're vacuuming, and you're vacuuming. You've got to get those lines just right, right? What happens when you're vacuuming and you come up to something and it, you just can't seem to pick it up? It kind of goes, you know, it makes that gurgling noise. So you move over here and you just kind of, you, you're vacuuming this and it's, it's not picking up. So you move over here and you're trying every direction. You're trying to get it and it just won't come up. And it's going, so then what do you do? You reach down, you pick it up and you look at it. And then what do you do? You throw it back down on the ground and you start to vacuum it again. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> but this is your story, some of you. No matter what you've done, or what you did, you've tried and tried and tried again. You've been to church, you've been to counseling, you prayed about it, and you just can't seem to let it go. How do we get to that place? How can we forgive like Jesus forgives? So I'm going to give you two thoughts today. These are real simple thoughts, but just because they're simple thoughts don't mean that they're easy to do. But I believe we can apply these truths today and become different. So how do we forgive like Jesus? First thing we do is we pray for those who hurt you. That's what Jesus taught. In Luke 6, 28, Jesus says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. When I read this, I thought, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for my dad. I pray he gets ran over by a Mack truck, right? <laughs> but this is very distinctly what Jesus says to do. Pray for those who hurt you. Then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says something that is so shocking. Now, remember back then, this is so culturally mind-blowing. They were not taught this. They were taught eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, you get me, I'll get you. But in, in chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44, he says, 
Jesus says this, but you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute, persecute you. The moment they heard this, they thought, what? What are you saying, Jesus? Wait, this isn't what we were taught. We were taught, you steal from me, I take from you. You do something to me, I'll do something to you. Like I said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You cut me off in traffic, I'm going to cut you off and then slow down. Right? (laughs) I've done that. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. You love them. You love your enemy. You love the father that took away your childhood. You love the one that broke your heart. You love them and you pray for them. Did someone hurt you? You pray for them. Did someone abuse you or abuse someone you love? You pray for them. Did someone mistreat you? You pray for them. Why in the world did Jesus teach this? My guess is that he probably taught it because our right attitude will precede right action. There's no way we can start to do the right thing until our heart is right. If you're waiting for a feeling like, oh, I've got to forgive them now. I I feel like I'm going to forgive them now. You know, waiting for a feeling of tingling. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to run up to them and give them a hug and everything's going to be okay. That probably won't ever come. I actually thought that if I forgave my dad, it was excusing what he did. So many of you are just like that. You think that if you forgive them, it's like saying, it's okay what you did. I'm okay with it. It's all right. I don't need to hold that anymore. Was God wanting me to forget all that had happened, everything that my dad did and go on with my life like nothing ever happened? How could I do that? Well, like I said, my dad was sick with COPD. He kept calling. He kept needing um, me to come help him. And let me say, forgiveness did not happen overnight. It was not an overnight thing. It was a very long process. But when I began to pray for him, in my prayers, in the beginning, was not the best prayers for my dad. It was probably something like, okay, God, there's my dad. Now go get him. (laughs) I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray that you get him. And then it got more to be like, Lord, help me. Deal with me with my heart and help me learn how to forgive him. I was in the position for me to be able to help my dad. I was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't want to help him, but I thought, okay, God's dealing with me with this. Maybe, maybe now's the time to help him out. So I did. I began to help him out a little bit. Even when God was softening my heart and I was praying for him, I was doing a good thing by helping my dad. My dad was still a thorn in my side. He was still mean, and spiteful. He was childish, and he would make unrealistic demands. It would make Ronnie so mad. (laughs) As God was working on me on forgiveness, in the middle of this, in the middle, now listen, my heart is open. I'm, I'm wanting to do what God wants me to do. I'm being very receptive, and I'm trying to, and it's so hard when they keep being mean right back at you. My dad, I got a call from the hospital. My dad was in the hospital, and they said, um, they called all my brothers and sister in and said, you know, that he's very close to death. 
Um, now, at this time, he didn't pass away, but he was, one of the times he was just very close. And they said, you may want to come in and, and see him. And so I go up to the hospital, you know, and my dad was just, um, the nurse was just in there, and he was very, very weak. COPD makes you very, very weak, and you can't breathe, and it's very, very hard. And so the nurse left, and I was just, how are you doing, Dad? How are things, you know? Are you, are you good? Do you need some food? Can I help you with anything, you know? And he just said, come here. And I thought, okay, what does he need? Must be something important. And so I went down, and I, I had to bend over so I could hear what he was saying. And he used that time one more time to degrade me, to tell me that I needed to be more like that nurse. I needed to look better. I needed to walk better. I needed to speak better. Even in the middle of you trying to forgive does not mean that that person is going to change their actions. In fact, Satan will even use that time to try to get you to hold on to that unforgiveness. See, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter if you forgive that person. You just need to hang on to it. You are right in hanging on to that unforgiveness. They're never going to change. But the enemy knows that the power of unforgiveness, the enemy knows the bondage that, he, that it has on you. And so when you release that, then the power of that is released. The enemy has no more hold on you. All the prayer I did for my dad, I never saw a repentive, changed man. But I can say this, a prayer changed me. So I'll say that. The prayer for the person or the thing that you're trying to forgive may not ever change that person, but it will always change you. So that's what happened to me. The more I prayed, the more my heart was softened. I was beginning to let it go. My prayers changed me. And I'm going to go on to my second point is the second thing that he teaches. Again, how can we forgive? In Colossians 3.13, he says, Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Debbie, if you'll go ahead and come on up. I don't know what you've been forgiven of. but I know myself, I've been forgiven so, so, so much. As in my teenage years, I was very rebellious. I did so many things that was, I'm so ashamed of. If you can imagine just being so angry and wanting to do everything that you possibly could just to be rebellious, you know, the teenager, that's just typical, right? But um, I was so rebellious. Even as a Christ follower, I've done and said some things that were not right. I have been forgiven of so, so much. And let me say this. Being able to forgive someone for their transaction does not require you to forget what happened. Forgetting is a disservice to forgiveness. It may be hard to think about it, but it doesn't mean that you have to forget it. When we choose to forgive and forget, we are not taking the, the opportunity from that learning, that, that opportunity to learn from that hardness and that, that hurt that came into us to be able to move on. Choosing to forgive enables us to look at the circumstances objectively. That way, when we look back on the painful events, that we can do that without bitterness or anger or resentment. And I don't know about you, but I didn't want that in my life anymore. It doesn't change the past. 
Forgiving someone doesn't change the past, but it will always change the future. Forgetting is not a prerequisite to forgiveness, but it is forgiveness, however, that will permit us to move forward peacefully despite acknowledging all the hurt that's been done to us. To simply forget the things or the people that hurt us nullifies the power of forgiveness. So the ending of my story, my dad was dying. He was in hospice. This was several years later. My sister and my brothers were all there. We knew that he only had a few days left. Each one of us had our own way of dealing with all the emotions. You know, we, we, need, we needed closure. We knew that there was only a few days left, and we just needed some closure. But we were sitting there, you know, and uh, watching him as life was just being taken from him. And uh, one night, my dad did look at us, and he said very weakly, because he could barely breathe, he said, I am so sorry. Now, he didn't say what he was sorry for. He didn't have this eloquent, long-o speech, but he said, I'm so sorry. Honestly, I'm just being real with you. I was so angry. I thought, (laughs) now, now you're sorry. Our life could have been so different. Now you're sorry. How can you take everything away from me? And now that you're fixing to die, you want to get it right. Honestly, I was mad. I was beyond mad. I had to go away. They had a chapel there at hospice. I knew I needed to get with God. I needed me some Jesus. (laughs) So I went to be with God. And I just, I I was mad. And I was honest with the Lord. And I said, I don't understand this. How can he take my life away from me? And now when he knows he's fixing to die, he wants to get it right. How can that be right? And God just looked, he just spoke to my heart. He was with me so heavily in that time. It was such a beautiful time. And he reminded me that God was my father, that he loved me and he provided for me and he gave me everything he needed. He hurt as much as I hurt. So I was able to breathe and be okay. I went into, back into the room and by this time, um, my brothers and sister had left. So it was just me and my dad. So I held his hand. I told him, I forgive you and I love you. Now I did not forget all the things that had happened to me or to my family, but for once I was remembering graciously. My dad passed away 12 years ago this month It was that next day that he passed away. And it was that day that my healing began. Not because of what he did or or what he said, but it was because I was able to just let it go. If that is true, if I can forgive something that seems so unforgivable, if Jesus can forgive, forgive the people that did some things to him that were so unforgivable, the same can be true for you. Jesus forgives us all the times we sin against him. That's how good our God is. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. So how do we forgive as we've been forgiven? You know, when we forgive, we may never be more like Jesus than when we forgive. If you want to be like Jesus, forgive those that have hurt you. So one day, maybe it's today, you're going to feel that tug on your heart and you want to find forgiveness. True forgiveness is saying, yeah, I know what happened to me. I remember, but I'm going to choose to let it go. I'm not going to let it have that power over me anymore. I'm going to release that and I'm going to give it to God. When we let it go, when we choose to forgive, we're actually setting the prisoner free. And usually that prisoner was us. So what do we do? As we have an encounter with God, when you feel that in your heart, you feel him talking to you, you say, I'm giving this to you. I'm letting it go. I'm going to forgive as I have been forgiven. For some of you, it will happen in a moment. For some of you, it may be just be the one step out of many, many steps you need to take, but keep on moving forward. So I'm going to go ahead and ask everyone to go ahead and bow your heads. I'm going to take this time. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit amarillofellowship.com.